Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. If you're in the Western Conference, you're probably tripping right about now. And if you're not, you should be because the Golden State Warriors look a lot like the Golden State Warriors right now. They look like that team that everybody spent years fearing. Two games into their series, they aren't just beating Denver. They are straight humiliating Denver. They're thrashing them. They're making them implode. We're talking technicals, ejections, fights on the bench. I mean, that's how badly it's all going for the Nuggets. And in Denver, we're talking about a pretty good team now. They won nearly 50 games in the regular season. They've got the reigning MVP, and they're just getting wrecked. They're imploding. Because the Warriors are back. They've got the best sixth man in the history of the league coming off the bench and going off for 34 and making the arena lose its collective mind. Draymond left side. Insert Alvy. Directing traffic as always. Finds Curry. Good pump fake on Jamichael Green. Steps out for a three. It's good and a foul. Curry jumping up and down in celebration. Counts one, two, three. Gets a high five from Draymond. And the Warriors have a chance with another four-point play in this game. Credit Warriors Radio. It's not just Steph, though. It's not just Steph. It's not Clay. Jordan Poole had 30 in game one, and then he chased that with 29 points and eight assists last night. And he was making grown-ass men look really foolish. Somebody needs to put out an Amber Alert for DeMarcus Cousins because Boogie was totally lost on this play. Cousins, what's good? Cousins, what's good? What's good? What's good, Cousins? Fat boy! Fat boy, what's good? Fat boy! Not you. Not you on that play. Fat boy! Fat boy! More on Cousins. <laughs> Lots more on Cousins still to come. Listen, I know it's only two games, and I know that Golden State's only done what they're supposed to do, win at home. I know that. Just know this, they're still not even playing their best ball yet. There's more there. They still have another level or two that they can get to. And if they hit that, go ahead and cancel Christmas. When you see Poole going off like that for a second straight game, you can see why folks are so desperate to come up with a name for that death lineup part three. Everybody's looking for a name, and nobody's come up with one worse than the 3G lineup. That is so lame. The 3G lineup. What? 2.75G Edge didn't want any of that. LTE didn't want in. I mean, come on, man. It's 2022. The iPhone 3G came out like a decade and a half ago. I mean, come on, man. Come on. Calling that that crew 3G makes it sound like we... Missed the light change because we were still playing Brick Breaker on our BlackBerry. Come on! Come on. You can't go from the death lineup to the Hamptons 5 to 3G. I mean, do better. And no, I don't have a better name myself. I just know 3G is not it. Come on! Come on. I mean, whatever you want to call them, 
Just know they're dangerous as hell. And while there has not been a big sample size, I have already seen enough of the group of Steph, Jordan, Clay, Andrew Wiggins, and Draymond to know that they are a real bleeping problem. Come on! Come on. I mean, like, this crew has played only 11 minutes in the series, but in those 11 minutes, have outscored the Nuggets by 29. And if the nerd in you wants to extrapolate that data, their offensive rating uh, is I north. I have really sort of extrapolated it that way, but... I mean, you got to extrapolate stuff more quickly. What's going on over there? Come on. You got to get in your game, Alvy. Come, Come on. on. Come on. If you want to extrapolate that further, dude, dude. <laughs> their offensive rating is north of 204. Their defensive rating is 75. So they're not just beating folks. They are humiliating folks. And you know that saying how you can never go back? Well, it may not apply to this crew because it's starting to look like and starting to feel like they did back in the day when they were clowning fools and then letting everybody know about it. Like Steph, hitting a layup and dropping a shimmy. And having fun and clowning people. Or like Gary Payton II going glove the second, blocking Joker, and then slapping Joker on the ass after a play. Jokic with a handle, gets it to Hahn. Highland, Highland, pulls up for him 17. Back rim miss, ball tipped by Jokic, got it back. Blocked from behind, Gary Payton the second, knocked it away. And hit him on the ass on another play. Come on, Draymond. Come on. Draymond, come on. How about Draymond? Waving Joker off the court following the ejection. A lot of deflections tonight. And Jokic teed up for the second time, and he's gone. He's had enough. He's screaming at Kevin Cutler. And a second tech, Green waves him goodbye. Like, that's just it. He's had enough. Like, I'm done, man. I'm out of here. I'm peace out. I'm just done. See, this is the vibe that no, Golden no. State was throwing off when they were stacking chips. They were winning. They were humiliating suckers, hitting shots, slapping ass, talking junk, and not a damn thing anybody could do about it. Not a good place to be if you're the other guy. Ask the Nuggets, and they'll tell you that they didn't like it. Not at all. They did not like it at all. Check out Monty Morris after the game. You know, they out there laughing. Dancing around. It's embarrassing. Um, we just got to be tougher. And don't forget, Monty slapping ass, too. They were doing that. He said, we got to be bleeping tougher. We got to be tougher. Right. And that toughness has to be directed at the other team, not each other. Because Will Barton and DeMarcus Cousins got into it on the bench in the third quarter and had to be separated. Yeah, I know. Bench the salt. Jungle Tourette's. It's always there. The surest sign that a team... Bench the salt. Thank you, Alvy. Way to get that the same day. Come on! What's going on, on with you over there, dude? Come on! Come on. The surest, the surest sign that a team is getting humiliated and is pissed off and can't do anything about it at the moment is when they turn on each other on national TV and try to give each other the hands. 
I mean, those two guys going at it the way they did was practically the basketball equivalent of Jonathan Papelbon choking Bryce Harper in the dugout. See Papelbon saying, run the ball out. And Bryce saying, you got to be kidding me. And then Papelbon went right after Harper. It's getting ugly, folks. There's no other way to put it. I mean, oh, it's getting awesome, folks. A teammate choking another teammate in the dugout for violating baseball's sacred code? What do you mean it's getting ugly? It's getting awesome. That does not get nearly enough credit. I, should, I shouldn't even go a single day without resetting that. That is incredible. A teammate choking. Then one of the ultimate red asses in baseball choking one of the biggest superstars in baseball in his own dugout in plain view of everybody for violating a code by not running out of ball. That is awesome. Jeff Francoeur, after switching over, makes that catch. There is something going on in the dugout. Right. A guy's choking another guy. Come on. Come on. Anyway, I guess what I'm trying to say here is you don't see a team as good as the Nuggets with an even better culture completely melt down like that, and especially on the big stage. But you could see how that might happen if you're having one of your worst days ever at work and it's broadcast on national TV and there are 20,000 people there in person laughing their asses off at you and chanting at you as it's all going down. I mean, when you look at it that way, you could see why a couple of coworkers having a really bad night might want to give each other the hands and why another one might get ejected. Barton inside, Jokic flipped off the rim, no good. Jokic screaming for a foul, he's going to get teed up, and he's going to be gone. Well, that's what, three tees tonight? Yep. He has two of them, Morris has one of them. I don't think he knows he has two technicals. He's walking down, trying to chase down Kevin Cutler, and Jokic is gone. So in each of the first two games, a Denver center has been ejected. That is the reigning MVP that they just got to snap. They frustrated the MVP to the point that I thought that he might go all Kyrie on them and start flipping the fans off and letting the F-bombs fly. I thought that Joker's brothers were going to show up and try to fight all 20,000 in the seats. But then again, Draymond always has that effect on people, right? That's Draymond being Draymond. Draymond doing Draymond things. Draymond locking him up. Draymond doing to Joker what pretty much nobody else on the planet has ever done. Shutting him down, frustrating him, getting him to get ejected, and then waving him off. As Nuggets head coach and jungle favorite Michael Malone said. No one wants to get embarrassed. No one wants to get their ass kicked, you know, on national TV. You know, that's two games in a row where you're in the game, then snap the finger, you're out of the game. It just seems like it happens that quickly. That's why I love that guy. That's why I love Michael Malone, because he says things like that. Nobody wants to get their ass kicked on national TV. That's two games in a row where that's happened, where with a snap of a finger, you're already out of it. But you see, this is what Golden State's doing now. That's what they did back in the day. That's what they did last night. They will embarrass you. They will kick your ass on national TV and then wave goodbye to you once they've done it. What I'm saying is, I would not be so quick to crown Phoenix's ass in the West just yet. Because the Dubs are playing their asses off, and it says here they're going to get even better as they go deeper into the postseason. And I will say, with Golden State on this run, can't the Warriors hold another groupthink and come together and come up with a better name than 3G? I mean, round up all those Bay Area engineers 
and IT masterminds in a high school gym, lock the door, and do not come out until you come up with something better. I mean, at the very least, somebody get on the phone with Georgia Tech, Kenny Anderson, Dennis Scott, and Brian Oliver. Ask them if they could at least borrow Lethal Weapon 3. Man's game. Even that would be better than 3G. Am I right, Steph? Man's game. Oh, yeah. I love that sound. That is the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. What Shopify does is it gives entrepreneurs the resources that were once reserved for big business. So upstarts, startups, and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online and in-person sales, and effortlessly stay informed. Scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility. Listen, I know where we started and where we are right now, and I do not plan on stopping there. Because success is a million milestones on a forever evolving path. And Shopify has the tools and resources that make it easy for any business to succeed from down the street to around the globe. Do this for me. No, do this for you. Go to shopify.com slash all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. You have to try this. Grow your business with Shopify today, go to shopify.com slash R-O-M-E. That's shopify.com slash Rome, R-O-M-E, all lowercase. Do it. Check it out. Calais Campbell is my guest. Calais, it's been a moment or two since we last spoke. How are you doing and how is your life right now? Man, I'm living the dream like always, you know. Uh, just happy I can still do it at a high level. And I still want to do it. I still love the game. So, you know, I'm very, very blessed, man. And always... Pleasure to be on your show. Talk to you. Hope all is well with you as well. Clayus, I appreciate you so much. Thank you very much. It's always good to have you on the show. And you actually hit on two things I wanted to ask you about. The fact that you're still able to do it at such a high level and you still want to. Before I get there, though, I have to ask you about something I saw. I saw you posting a picture in front of the Sphinx in Egypt recently. How was that trip and what was your takeaway from it? Oh, it was incredible. You know, you, you go there and you're just in awe of these incredible uh, man-made, you know, uh, statues and um, and uh, just, I mean, the pyramids and all the different uh, tombs and just you know, how far in advance, um, you know, just uh, there were, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago and how that stuff still stands. It looks uh, amazing today. And, um, you know, it's, it's just incredible. And then uh, just I went there with, like, all my family, all my brothers and sisters, my mom, my wife. And, uh, you know, and her brother, and we had an uh, incredible time, just, you know, family bonded, you know, and I know that, uh, you know, uh, you know, being in the NFL, being able to make the kind of money I've made and be able to travel and do things like that, you know, it's coming to an end sooner than later. So I'm trying to take advantage of, you know, just being able to travel and, and uh, create experiences for my family that hopefully will last a lifetime. I was going to say good for you. What an amazing experience because the family will always have that. So you signed a two-year contract with the Ravens earlier this month. There were a lot of other teams reportedly interested in you. What was that decision-making process like for you then? And then how close did you come to leaving? Well, uh, you know, it was one of those situations where, you know, um, I wanted to entertain every, every um, you know, every call and see, you know, who, who was. There are a lot of teams – uh, that call that I, you know, that I felt like are just a year or two away from really contending. So I, I didn't really uh, give them opportunity, you know, tell my agent to tell them to not tell them no. But then there were a few teams that called that I, you know, I thought actually were were true contenders that uh, you know would be interesting to play with. But 
you know, uh, you know, he asked me, you know, what would it take for you to actually lead the Ravens? Because if all things are, you know, are equal or, you know, if it was a little bit more, like what would it take for you to lead the Ravens? And I was like, well, it would probably take a lot. You know, I mean, I, I like the Ravens a lot. The organization, you know, um, the, the fan base, the coaching staff, uh, you know, we, we bought a place there a couple of years ago, so I'm comfortable. My wife loves it, you know, so, I mean, it really, there was, you know, I know we have a real good chance to win. I really believe in Lamar Jackson. And so I feel like, um, you know, uh, it, it really was, you know, it was the Ravens um, as long as they wanted me, you know, uh, and other teams, you know, uh, I, you know, I entertained them because it took a really a while for, uh, for me to get a special offer. So uh, once I came in, you know, I mean, literally, you know, we did some negotiation on the actual terms of the deal, but the deal was signed two days after the Ravens offered me. I appreciate that response. Clays Campbell is joining us. Clays, you mentioned Lamar Jackson. One of the talking points, of course, this offseason has been his contractual situation is, and I got to think that, well, you tell me, did that factor into your decision, and is there any doubt in your mind that he will sign a new long-term deal to stay in Baltimore at some point? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, He's, he's going to be a Raven for life. You know, uh, I, I mean, I would be shocked if anything else happened. He's just, uh, no, he, he loves the organization as well. I think you know the biggest holdup is that he really wants to perform at his highest level, um, you know, and uh, and so he earned the contract, which you know I think is you know very commendable, you know. I mean, uh, you know, and he he has his uh, people who advise him, and you know, uh, over the last couple of years, I've been in there about all kinds of different things, you know, from family uh, to business to you know football and. Uh, and of course, uh, the business side of football and stuff like that. But you know, I mean, he has great advisors that you know he's, he's using. But I think he, he genuinely just wants to feel like he's earned being the best player in the NFL and uh, having the contract worthy of it. And I think that's just something that you know I feel like he wants to go out there and win the Super Bowl first. You know, which yeah, that's very commendable. You know, but at the end of the day, business still got just done whether you you know uh, whether we have that kind of success as a team or not. But I I, I think that you know uh, just me speaking to him, I think he wants to earn it by winning the Super Bowl first. We are talking to Clayus Campbell. All right, so Clayus, you're coming off a year where you had 49 tackles. You were Baltimore's highest-graded defensive player, according to PFF. Players are not supposed to be playing your position at that high level at this point in their career. How do you explain your ability to be this good this long? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I really feel like it's God-given. You know, uh, I've been very, very blessed with uh, the, you know, just a, a healthy body for the most part. You know, these last couple of years, I had a couple of, like, small minor injuries, soft tissue stuff. Um, but I've been very, very blessed. You know, I've never had any major surgeries or anything like that. So, I mean, that's really God. I, mean, I can do everything I want to, taking care of my body and eating right and all that stuff. But, you know, I've seen guys do that and get hurt too. So I really come down, you know, to just being, you know, blessed. But then on top of that, you know, um, you know, it's just, um, you know, uh, I put I put the work in, you know, to, you know, really uh, fine tune my body, put myself in, in really good quality shape. And then if I can go out there and still perform at a high level. And then, um, you know, I mean, I love the game. I think, you know, you know, when you genuinely love the game the way I love the game, you know, I feel like you want to make the sacrifices necessary in order for you to go out there and, and be the, you know, the best you can be. And, um, you know, I mean, I've consistently done that every year of my career, and I've gotten a lot better at it as I got older because, you know, just experience plays, pays dividends in, in, any, in any game, any business, but you know, especially this one. So, um, you know, I've learned smarter and more efficient ways to take care of myself and to put me in a position to be – um, you know, very, very dominant out there, you know, but it, it is interesting because, you know, um, you know, the last couple of years, you know, as far as stats go, I haven't had as many stats as I've had in years past. And I think a lot of people assume that because you don't have the big numbers to try playing as well. And I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm looking at the tape and I'm like, 
you know, I mean, with the exception of getting a few less reps, and then there's a couple of players out there that, that you have every year that you wish you could have back. But for the most part, I feel like I was very, very dominant both years, you know. And so, um, uh, but I, I, you know, I, obviously, I think, uh, you know, uh, everybody has goals, and my goal, one of them is to get to 100 sacks. And I, so I do want to improve on, on the stat side, you know, a little bit more this year. Uh, but at the end of the day, to me, I never really cared about the stats as much. I cared about, um, you know, just performing at a high level. Every, every play, make every play count. And, uh, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, especially this last year, you know, um, you know, I, I made every play count. You know, I was out there, you know, just making my presence felt. And if it led to a stat, great. But if it just led to my, my teammates making plays, you know, that's you – know, I want to win ball games. And, you know, early in the season, we were rolling. You know, it just – it sucks that we didn't get to, to to finish on a high level. You know, losing six games in a row, that really stung. That hurt. You know, and, you know, and I, mean, I think that's one of the main reasons I came back, too, is I can't, I can't in my career on a six-game losing streak. You know, you can lose a game in your career, but not six games in a row, you know. So, uh, and uh, and, I also, I, and I also believe that um, this team is worthy to win the Super Bowl. And it would be foolish for me to walk away where I still got, you know, a great football inside of me. And, uh, and I'm a part of a team that has a realistic chance to go out there and host that Lombardi Trophy. And that's something I dreamt about since I was six. Calais Campbell is my guest. What an incredible response that was. And also, those birds, though, Calais. Are you in a bird sanctuary? What a beautiful sound. <laughs> Dude, what kind of birds are those? How many are there? That sounds incredible. Where are you right now? I'm just in, this, uh, the, I'm in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, where I have uh, my trainers the last couple of years. Um, who've been taking real good care of me, helping me get prepared for the uh, for the season, you know. Um, yeah, but I'm in this Airbnb in the backyard. Uh, it's beautiful, man. It sounds birds, incredible. It's a beautiful sound. It's a beautiful sound. It's incredible. Calais Campbell joining me for a few more moments. I mean, very clearly you are putting in the work. I want to ask you about that. But you mentioned 100 career sacks. You are closing in on that number. You're also closing in on 800 career tackles. You're a member of the All-Decade team. You've been in numerous Pro Bowls. From where I'm sitting, that sounds very much like somebody who has got a really strong case for the Hall of Fame. I understand that you're about team goals. I know you want that chip. Is Canton, though, something that's in the back of your mind, and is that a source of motivation? Yeah. You know, I'd be lying to you if I told you it wasn't. You know, um, you know, I, I think you play this game in order to be the best. You know I mean? I, I don't think, you know, you know, you should do anything without trying to be your very, very best at it. And they quantify that uh, with a gold jacket, you know, in the NFL. And so – you know, if I could be considered one of the best ever, you know, get a good jacket when I'm done playing, you know, I mean, that's a heck of a career. You know, at the end of the day, though, you know, uh, I mean, if it doesn't happen, you know, uh, I mean, it won't change anything for, for me. I, I, I just I just love the game of football, and I'm, I'm one of those people who's like a, a diehard fan my whole life, and I just happen to be good enough to play the game. And so uh, when, you know, just being – having this experience of playing in the NFL and being able to, you know, uh, just – I mean, live my dream, you know, for the last 14 years, going to 15 years now, has been incredible. But, you know, if I can also be considered one of the best ever, you know, doing that and, and get a gold jacket, you know, that's uh, the cherry on top. Man, that's you know, the, 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 you know, the, the, the best conclusion you can have to this, uh, to the storybook, you know, of my life in the, in the NFL. Clayus, one last thought. Like, you, you have great God-given ability. We know this. But when you talk about putting in the work, as an example, you make a great financial investment in your body. You've got a massage therapist. You have an ankle specialist. You have a physical therapist. You have a personal chef. It all makes sense because that is your body uh, body maker. I mean, your, your money maker is your body, of course. I'm really curious. Like, how much time do you spend each week on just working and fine-tuning your body to make sure you're ready on Sunday? Oh, 
countless hours, you know, uh, and that's probably one of the hardest part about um, when I, you know, being older, you know, when I was younger, it, it, was, it didn't take as much time, you know, and, and now, you know, having a family, you know, uh, and you really got to kind of, you only got so much time in the day, so you got to kind of sacrifice family time in order to really be, you know, uh, top level in, um, you know, in football. So, you know, even if it's the actual physical, you know, uh, stress on, on training, you know, and, um, and making sure you know, my body's prepared that way during the off season, as well as just putting it back together and, you know, making sure that, you know, every joint and everything is moving the way it's supposed to so I can be as healthy as I can be uh, on the field. You know, all that stuff takes a lot of time. You know, I mean, I, I you know, I, if you get the whole year, I couldn't even count how many hours I put into my body. It's, 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 it's a lot, though. But, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, I think this, you know, everybody should, you know, be healthy as they can be, you know, and, and I have, um, you know, a good excuse to try to make sure that I'm as healthy as possible at all times. So that's a good thing. But uh, during all season, though, uh, it's a little easier to put the work in because I get so much more time, you know, I can hang with my family and all that good stuff. But during the season, it's a challenge. That's why, you know, a lot of guys don't play a long time because, you know, eventually you have to sacrifice family in order to play football. But, you know, um, my wife and my, my – I waited, you know, since I was older to have kids. My kids are still super, super young. So, um, you know, it works for us. But, uh, you know, it's definitely, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big sacrifice uh, from, uh, from uh, you know, some of the, I think the most precious things in life in order for me to appreciate and live out this dream as best I can. Uh, but uh, I think, you know, you have to really truly love it to be able to do that because, uh, you know, if you're doing it just for monetary reasons or just because you're good at it, you know, uh, the sacrifice you have to make and, and the mental toughness and everything is harder too each year. So, you know, I don't think, you know, a lot of people are willing to pay that price in order to, you know, keep playing at a high level. So, um, you know, it's, it's kind of cool that uh, that guy gave me that, that that desire and ability to do it. And so you know, I'm going to keep rocking it the best I can. My man, it's more than kind of cool. It's the coolest thing ever. He is dominant on the field. He is dominant off the field. He is a three-time All-Pro. He is a six-time Pro Bowler. Calais, it is so great to get caught up. I really appreciate you. I appreciate the relationship. And it's always good to have you on this show. Thanks so much for making time and great to get caught up. Man, pleasure, man. Thanks for having me as always. Take it easy. If you're a parent, you know this. Kids are amazing, but they are expensive. However, with Fabric, protecting your family with term life insurance is surprisingly affordable. Fabric was built specifically for parents to help you manage your family's financial future like a parenting pro, stress-free. And Fabric's new lower prices mean significant savings over other providers with great policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. And everything is on your schedule with Fabric because it's all online. Less than 10 minutes to apply, and you can be offered coverage instantly with no health exam required. Then just personalize your quote to fit your family's needs, and you will be set with high-quality, affordable protection for your entire family. There is no risk to apply today. Fabric has a 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can cancel at any time. So protect your family with term life insurance right now in just 10 minutes. Apply today at meetfabric.com slash Rome. That's meetfabric.com slash R-O-M-E to start protecting your family right now. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash Rome. Fabric insurance agency policies issued by Vantis Life. Not available in New York and Montana. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. All right, so here are a couple of facts. When it comes to real estate, and I think a lot of people are into this, like people like to be looky-loos when it comes to real estate, especially right now because the market is popping. 
almost no matter where you are, real estate is going crazy right about now. Real estate listings are like the new porn. Here's another fact, and I've done this before, so I know this. I've sold, we've built and sold houses, some we've done really well on, some we've gotten our asses kicked on. But if you're selling a house, the more eyes on that house, the better. More eyes means potentially more zeros on the offer sheet. So you think that me talking about your listing, if you have a listing, you think that if I'm talking about your listing on an internationally syndicated radio program and on TV, you would think that would be a really good thing. More eyes, more zeros. I've got an internationally syndicated product that's heard on hundreds of radio stations and seen on television. You would think that's a really good thing, right? Yeah, I'm not sure it is. In fact, I know it's not. Even if that listing is in my home away from home, the amazing state of Wisconsin, and it is. Because here is the third fact. If you're selling a house and the listing goes viral, it's not the best thing. It might be the worst thing. Yes, there are more eyes on it, but they're checking it out not to buy it, but to clown it. And if there were at last check nearly 60,000 likes on your listing, it doesn't mean they're liking it. It means they're laughing at it. It's not a good thing. In fact, it's a bad thing. Now, if you know the show, you know that I'm not, not only not here to clown Wisconsin, but I'm here to hype Wisconsin. I love Wisconsin. I love the state. My money goes to that state. It goes to that state in the form of a college education for our son. It goes to the state in the form of we bought a house, we knocked it down, we built a new house on the property. In fact, almost all of my money is parked in the state of Wisconsin. So obviously, I love the state, I love the people, and I love the absolute brass set on the person who listed their home in Onalaska, Wisconsin. So what are we talking about? Four beds, three baths in Onalaska, which is near La Crosse on the Wisconsin-Minnesota border. I'm not exactly sure how far that is from us in Eagle River, but I need to find out because I need to meet these folks. I need to be friends with these folks. See, when you click through the photos, there is nothing really that remarkable that jumps out. It looks pretty clean, probably staged, but there is one thing. There are signs, lots of signs, like signs in every single room. I'm not a big sign guy. I think in our house in Wisconsin, we have a sign, one sign, a lake life sign, or life's better at the lake or something, you know? Something cute that I let Dodger Jano put up. Not this house. Signs like in every single room. Like somebody went to the sign section of Home Goods and said, I'll take it. All of it. There's one in the kitchen that says, this kitchen is for dancing. There's one in the dining room which says, work hard and be nice to people. And then, of course, there is one in the primary bedroom that says, and I quote, welcome to Pound Town. You heard me. There is one in the master bedroom which says, Welcome to Pound Town. I probably should have done a disclaimer. This next take is graphic in detail. Please be warned. If there are kids listening, it's not a kid's show anywhere. There's going to be some pounding going on. Anyway, right above the headboard. That's where the sign is. Right above the headboard, Welcome to Pound 
Pound Town, WTP, WTP, WTF. In case you're not familiar with Pound Town, let me help you out. Why don't we do what we always do when we may or may not be familiar with a phrase or a term? We consult our friends at the Urban Dictionary because the UD always has the answer to everything we need and the best answer. The UD defines Pound Town as, quote, the place where one takes a woman when he is looking for sexual pleasure as quickly as possible with no thoughts of being tender, caring, gentle, etc. And this is what these folks have over their bed. People who refer to their bedroom as the place where the magic happens cannot believe the welcome to Pound Town sign. Pound Town. Pound Town. What's next door? The Bone Zone? (laughs) Who's got a sign? Who has that sign in the first place? First of all, who has that sign in the first place? It's one thing if you want to call it Pound Town, but who has a sign made to make sure everybody knows it's Pound Town? And best of all, who the hell keeps that sign up there when their home is being photographed for a property listing? Have you ever sold a house before? If you have a really good realtor, they're really smart about everything in the house. Like, you know what you do? Yeah. Somebody told me this once, take down pictures of your family because when people walk through the house, they want to think of it as a house that they could live in. They don't want to think of it as they're buying your house. They want it to seem like it's their own house. Oh, you better take down that welcome to pound town sign too. They want to have sex in the house. They want to have a vision of you having sex in that house. Sex with me. I mean, at first I thought it was fake. Like somebody obviously photoshopped that in. Who would have welcome to Pound Town in their bedroom of a home they're trying to sell? Somebody shopped that in. But then it looks pretty real, right? And then you can see it in other photos of the bathroom. If it were fake, somebody did a really good job of shopping it or faking it. But then again, if you want everybody to know the bedroom is Pound Town, you don't need to fake it. You want the whole world to know that you're about one thing and one thing only. Pounding. Sex. And preferably sex with, quote, no thoughts of being tender, caring, or gentle, etc. Like the property listing mentions that there are, quote, many deer and wildlife in your backyard, but only a few miles from everything. Yeah, a few miles from everything but right in the heart of Pound Town. Pound Town, population two. Man, nothing says classy like a welcome to Pound Town sign above your bed. Hey, y'all. This is where we put the hot dog in the bun, yo. Here's where we make the beast with two backs. This is the place... Where, where we take the skin boat to Tuna Town. Pound Town, yo. This is where we do the horizontal mamba. This is where we pork. How is that not a sign? This is where we pork. This is where we lay pipe. 
Yeah, I said it. Welcome to the Boneyard. Can't believe welcome to Pound Town. Welcome to Pound Town. <laughs> I repeat, welcome to Pound Town. What's the Latin motto on the family crest? Coitus uninterruptus? Congrats on my town. Well, not my town. My state. My secondary state. Congrats on going viral, Wisco. Hope that sale goes well. And I hope the new mayor loves Pound Town. Welcome to Pound Town. That went viral last night. Understandably so. I wonder if there's going to be a bidding war for that one. Yo, man, you know me. I'm the one who bought the Pound Town house. I don't want the house. But I do want to know the guy who's rocking that sign from his headboard. I just checked it out. They're about four hours from us. Four hours south of Eagle River. Yo, Broham, whoever you are, you and me, we're going to be friends. We have a lot in common. 1-800-636-8686. Like I always say, Twitter is both the best and worst thing in the world. A lot of times, it's the worst thing in the world. Most nights, it is the worst thing in the world. Except on those nights where Pound Town is trending. Stuck nuts, the first one through. The sign on my bedroom wall says Amazon Prime. Signed, I Ray. Good one, nut. Is that the best you could do coming off a take like that? Come on, nut. 1-800-636-8686. Had to go off. The, I had to get that out there and go off the board because that's all you were hitting me with. And I knew until I addressed it, we couldn't move on to an actual sports take. Hey, Rome, I saw that sign. And it opened up the eyes. I saw the sign. Signed, Ace of Base. Not bad, Zach. So, the best athletes know that your championship body is not built in a single day. The same is true when it comes to your long-term financial goals. Get financially fit with M1, the finance super app. It is commission-free, and it makes growing your money so much easier, and you can strategize for the end game. Build a custom portfolio or choose a pre-built portfolio that speaks to your goals. Then... Automate your everyday money moves and use your extra time to watch the highlights. They even make it easy to stick to your investing strategy by automatically rebalancing your investments every time you buy into your portfolio, keeping your investments close to where you want them. That way, your portfolio sticks to the plan for the long game. There are no huddle-ups necessary. So, what you want to do is go to m1finance.com sports. That's m with the number one, and sign up and see why money, Investopedia, and Yahoo Finance are proud superfans of M1. So am I. That's M, the number one, dot com slash sports. Investing does involve risk, including the risk of loss. M1 Finance, LLC, member FINRA slash SIPC. Connor, Joe. Connor, so good to have you on. How are you? 
I'm great, Jim. Thanks for having me. Connor, it is so good to have you. Lots to get caught up on, so let me start right here. The team did continue its hot start with that win last night over Philadelphia. It's a long year, but what is the vibe like in the clubhouse right now? And obviously, how much fun is it to come to the park every single day when the team is rolling the way it is? Yeah, you said it exactly. You know, it's a long year, um, but, you know, it's always great to get off to a hot start and um, to get some wins early in the year. Um, excitement in the clubhouse, man, where it's a good group of guys and um, you know, a lot of guys, a lot of people out there don't give us enough credit. I think we're going to surprise some people this year. Connor, Joe is my guest. You can take that a long way. If you have a, a guy or a clubhouse that collectively has got that chip on its shoulder and you've got some talent, you know how that plays out. You know, I'm looking at the way you've started the year and you've played three different positions in the field and you've DH'd, but no matter where you play in the field, you've been raking at the plate. How do you make sure that changing positions in the field does not impact you at the plate? Yeah, Jim, you know what? We have a, a great staff, right? Um, I work with Ron Gideon and Stu Cole, uh, the defensive guys. and um, Basically, just whatever position I'm playing that day, I get my work in during BP. And then, um, you know, obviously the routine in the cages and batting practice for offenses stays the same. You know, and then, Connor, on top of that, of course, you've got a great manager with Bud Block. It's his your second season with him. He's always been one of my all-time favorite guys in the game. What's he like to play for? Buddy's amazing. Um, you know, he's got a calm, cool, collected demeanor. Always, uh, he's never too high, never too low. Um, and he makes sure guys are in the right spot uh, to succeed, right? Like, he makes sure we're in um, positions where we have the opportunity to play well. Connor Joe is joining us. He's a member of the Rockies. Connor, I love your background. So if we were to go back, you're from Poway. You went to the University of San Diego. Poway High, of course, is a baseball powerhouse. What was it like to grow up in that area and play ball there? Yeah, Poway's amazing. Um, you know, when I was in Little League, to be walking around the same fields as uh, names like Phil Nevin, David Justice, Jose Vizcaino, Phil Plantier, um, just to be around big leaguers and to see them every day. Um, and I know a lot of kids don't get that opportunity, so that was amazing. Um, Poway's a very small community. Um, baseball is very important in that community, so, um, yeah, I loved it. It's great. You said it best, and th- those are some huge names that were in Poway. Now, you had a lot of recruiting interest coming out of high school. What was it about USD, and I love college baseball, but what was it about USD that made you decide that that was the place where you wanted to play? The opportunity to stay at home. Um, I think the the weather, uh, how close we are to the beach. Um, obviously, Rich Hill, Jay Johnson, the guys who recruited me there had a lot of influence. Um, you know, great college baseball names. Um, but then also the ability to, to, to stay close enough to home and for my parents to be able to come watch me play every day was important to me. Oh, that is so huge. Connor, I've been talking about this a lot lately on the program. I've got a son. We have a son who's a junior in high school here in Orange County, and he plays high school baseball, and it's just one of my favorite experiences ever, so I know exactly what you're talking about. You mentioned your parents. Now, your parents owned a couple of restaurants when you were growing up. You said that being in the restaurant after school and watching your dad work left an impression on you. What did you learn from watching him? Man, I learned so much from my dad. Um, He was there early. I didn't see him in the mornings going for, to school because he was there uh, preparing the restaurant to open, then obviously working during business hours. And then when I'd get there, um, I'd watch him close up the restaurant and clean up. So he was nonstop, um, ultimate sacrifice for our family. Um, and then also just watching the way he interacted with his uh, customers, right? Like 
um, the way he talked to people, the way he cared about others um, was important to me, and that's something that I take into the clubhouse um, to build relationships with my teammates. Connor Joe of the Colorado Rockies joining us. Now, Connor, if people listening right now don't know your story, they're probably hearing this and saying, this is cool. I like this. This is very interesting. Then things get really haunting. In February of 2020, you're diagnosed with cancer following a physical and spring training. Like, when you're young and you're vibrant and you're healthy and you're grinding away in your career, and then all of a sudden you get news like that, and for anybody who's been through this, I've had it in my family, so I know what it's like to hear that. How did you go about processing that? Yeah, ultimate shock factor, right? Um, my offseason in 2019 was phenomenal. I, I was in a really good spot with my body, my swing. Um, really excited for the opportunity to compete for a spot on that 2020 roster for the Dodgers. Um, so I was riding high going into spring training and then, you know, ultimate low, right? Like in, in the doctor's office, he comes in and says, you know, sit down. You're diagnosed with testicular cancer. Um it was hard to process at first, right? But then being an athlete, ultimate switch, like talk to the doctor, get a game plan, and then execute the game plan, right? Like we're, we're built for that. So um, ultimate high to ultimate low, and then uh, just grind out the uh, treatment process. I mean, Connor, that's amazing what you just shared. And I want to take this one step further. The doctor, Dr. Mark Litwin, said, quote, you were one of the most positive people I've ever met. He had this can-do attitude. This is the hand I've been dealt, and we're going to play it, end of quote. It's an amazing thing for somebody like that to say. And the way you just described it is, all right, it was shocking, but I'm an athlete. Let's go. Let's go. How were you able? Can you kind of break that down for for anybody listening right now that may not think they're built for it or does not have an athletic background? How did you get to that place mentally and develop that sort of mindset and positivity in the face of something so scary? Yeah, Jim, at the end of the day, uh, being put in that situation, right, that's out of our control. Um, at that point in time, I had no option other than to go through the surgery and go through chemotherapy. So, um, you know, as soon as someone can accept those facts and, and I guess not feel sorry for themselves, um, you got one choice. And, you know, I talked to a lot of survivors, right, a lot of cancer survivors, and um, the best piece of advice they gave me was you got to stay positive. There's going to be some days in chemotherapy where you're feeling beat up. You know, you're not – there's no light at the end of the tunnel, but as positive as you can stay, it's going to help you, and it, and it sure did. Connor Joe is my guest. Connor, I believe that so sincerely. Like my father, years and years and years ago, was diagnosed with leukemia, and he never once said, why me? It was the strangest thing. Like he passed away when he was 59, and I remember sitting with him once and saying, I, I just, I don't get it. I don't get it. Why? Why are you not upset? Why are you not asking? How did this happen to me? Why me? And he said to me, because my life is so much better than I ever thought it would be. I, I never expected to achieve any of these things. I guarantee, and I think you would support this, right, that that positivity, it kept him alive, kept him focused, and he kept going. It made all the difference in the world. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, that's amazing, and that's an amazing um, attitude that your father took. Um, but it absolutely does, right? Like, positivity is um, it's infectious. Um, I know the journey was extremely hard on my wife and my parents um, and my family, but you know, for them to see me positive going through what I did, I think it helped them a lot too. Um, and then in turn came around and helped me. So um, you don't really have an option in that uh, 
position, but positivity goes a long way. Hey, listen, I so appreciate you sharing that part of the story. I guarantee there are people listening right now that needed to hear that, needed to hear that today. So I really appreciate you sharing that. So you maintain this attitude. You keep fighting. You've got a strong family around you. Then on July 20th, last year, on the one-year anniversary of being declared cancer-free, you hit your first career MLB home run. What do you remember about the at-bat and that trip around the bases? <laughs> It gives me chills uh, to this day thinking about that day. Um, it was a whirlwind of events, right? Like I was in AAA the night before, um, got called up, was on a flight, arrived in Denver not expecting to play really, and uh, went into the manager's office. He told me I was in there um, facing Marco Gonzalez, right? Like 0 for 2 going into that at bat, um, just trying to do something. And, um, yeah, got a pitch I could handle, put a good swing on it. And, um, yeah, I remember running around the bases more so thinking it was my first career home run. And then when I went out to the, the field the next half inning, I remember my wife had reminded me that it was my one-year anniversary of being cancer-free. And, um, yeah, I'm not going to lie, I did tear up a little bit in the outfield, but then uh, had to pull it together real quick because we were in a ball game. Connor Joe is joining us. Connor, the whole thing is just so mind-blowing, right? Like, it feels like the entire Rockies fan base also has just fallen in love with you. Like, how would you describe the relationship with the fans and what's it mean to be playing in a place where they chant your name? Man, it is so special. Um, from my very first call-up in, you know, last year, they were they embraced me. They were chanting my name. Um and you know what? I don't know what I did to deserve that, but I'm so grateful for them. Um, I play with a lot of energy, um, and, and I feed off energy. So to, to play at Coors, it's a special feeling. I, I can't really describe it in words, but um, it's amazing, and I, I love the fans here. Hey, Connor, before you go, really quickly, there's you're a role model in so many regards. Let me give you a couple examples. Because of what you've been through and because of the way you've handled it, you're a role model to so many, including a 5-year-old by the name of Camden. How did the two of you first get in touch, and what's it mean to you to be such an inspiration to him? Yeah, Camden is my hero. Um, and the way we met was, I believe it was fate, um, and God put him there. Um, but it was in spring training. I was signing autographs before a game. I saw a woman with a shirt that said Warrior, and I just made a comment that said, hey, you know, like that's a really cool shirt. That's, um, I like that. And she said it's for her nephew. Um, she explained the story that, He's going through brain cancer right now, um, and I explained to her that I am a survivor of cancer. That was my word um, when I was fighting my journey, and I asked if I could meet him. Um, she brought Camden over. I got to meet him. I got to give him a hug, give him some batting gloves and a ball, and he gave me a bracelet that I uh, wear every game and every day. And um, found out he's from Colorado, so we made that connection and stayed in touch with his mother. Um, yeah, so Camden's an absolute warrior. He, he's going through a lot right now. And I told him, you know, I don't know exactly what you're feeling and no journey is the same, but um, I can re relate a little bit and um, I'm pulling for him. I mean this truly. That is one of the coolest stories I've ever heard. I love that you started that story by saying, Connor, that he's your hero. That is an amazing story. And then finally, when you were growing up, you watched Hideki Matsui play. You idolized Ichiro. You said, quote, you don't see many Asian-American players in the major leagues. Growing up, if I had another Asian kid on my team, it was like, wow, that's awesome. I can't really remember playing with any other or many other Asian-American kids. How does it feel then to be a role model in that regard, too? 
Yeah. You know, that's something I don't take lightly, Jim. Um, it's an honor to be in the position I am. I guess have the platform I have. Um, and yeah, like I said, I had very few um, Asians playing the game of baseball, right? Like if turned on the TV, it's predominantly um, other backgrounds. So, um, you know what, if I can be that person, that role model for some younger kid, that turns on the TV and sees me on and gets him hope. Um, I take that with great pride, and it means a lot to me. Connor and Joe, my guest. Connor, I can't tell you how great it is to talk to you, to spend some time with you. I didn't mean to keep you that long, but it's just so great. The journey is so amazing. I think you're an amazing inspiration. I really, really appreciate you. Would love to have you back on the show as soon as we can possibly do it, but really great to spend time with you today. Thank you so much for doing that. Yeah, thank you so much, Jim. I appreciate it. Listen, with prices soaring at the pump, Discover's got your back with cash back. Use Discover to earn 5% cash back at gas stations and Target now through June on up to $1,500 in purchases when you activate. We know every single dollar matters right now, but you can count on us. Get up to $75 cash back this quarter with Discover It card. Limitations do apply. Learn more at discover.com slash rewards discover.com slash rewards. Charles Davis is my guest. Charles, what's going on? How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Jim? Good to hear your voice again. Hope you and your you and yours are doing great. We are doing great, and it's great to hear your voice, too. So we are about a week out from the NFL draft in Vegas. Before we get into the details of all of the projections, at this point, how yeah. settled do you feel the teams are at the very top of the draft about who they're going to take? Are they locked in, or does it still feel kind of fluid to you? It still feels fluid to me, Jim. Uh, you know, obviously we're not in their rooms, and, you know, we, we all talk to our different contacts. Everyone has them. Otherwise, we wouldn't be in this business, right? But even our contacts, you know, and I would guess that if you would talk to other people doing what we do, I think they would all pretty much tell you the same thing. Sure, I've talked to X, Y, and Z, but none of them have been really definitive with me. Right. <laughs> it's kind of like, well, if it goes this way, we're here. If it goes that way, and we really like but but we're not – and that's kind of how this whole draft feels right now. Not that people don't know these players. I don't want to give the false impression like everyone's just, you know, throwing a, throwing a dart up at the board. That's not it at all. It's just a matter of, okay, right at the very top, what is the first move that will start to dictate where, where the rest of us go? Because Jacksonville is still a mystery. Jim, how many times have we gone into a draft we knew who was number one and there was no ifs, ands, or buts about it? Right. Right? It even had contracts done sometimes, right? So there was no mystery involved at all. This year, Aiden Hutchinson feels like ultimately who's going to be the pick, but I don't think that's a lock. Not, not yet. Charles Davis is our guest. So, Charles, when you mentioned that, for instance, you've got Jacksonville at the top, and Aiden Hutchinson could be it. But if not him, then it's got to be Trayvon Walker, probably, you would think, from Georgia. If you're looking at looking at the two of them, who makes more sense in your mind to Jacksonville? Well, to Jacksonville, because of where Jacksonville is coming from, their most recent history, Jim, they've had a few misses near the top of the board in, in the last few years, and it's not even totally just this regime, just kind of franchise. Hutchinson, quote-unquote, makes the most sense. And it's one of those terms that I don't know how you feel about it, so I'd love to get a, get a couple words on it. But sometimes when we say, this guy's the safest pick you can make, I feel like you're damning him with faint praise. 
and I don't think that's the case here. I think Aiden Hutchinson is a tremendous football player. But when we also call him probably the safest pick and the safe pick for Jacksonville, that's, that should be a compliment this time, not, well, there's no one else, and this guy's kind of, you know, we, we think he'll be okay. It's, he doesn't bring any drama with him. There's no off-field that we're worried about. You don't worry about his background. This kid's got all the things you want, and he's just going to come and go to work. Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon, best pure pass rusher in the draft. Why is he not the number one guy, and why are we not talking about him? Because there's a little extra with him. He's a 2022 young man. <laughs> Jim, he talks about brands and what's going to happen here and what's going to happen there. I know we're getting better as, as, as scouts in the NFL, but there's still plenty of old school thought. I just want kids to come and play football. Mm. I just want to come in and play football. Hutchinson probably gives you that. Trayvon Walker gives you that from Georgia. Thibodeau, he might scare a few people right at the top with those sorts of things. And it seems like a minor thing in 2022. Still the NFL, Jim. They still have concerns about those sorts of things. Plus, does he play hard every snap? There's always one player in every draft that we talk about like that. He's this year's edition. Interesting. Charles Davis is joining us. All right, so I think there's such good information in that. We talked about Jacksonville. What about Detroit with that second pick overall? You were in Detroit recently, so what's your sense as to how that city is feeling about the Lions? I mean, look, we know. I've always said this, Charles. That is a great football town. I mean, a great football town that hasn't had a ton of success, but a great football town. How are they feeling about the Lions and this draft coming off their first season with Dan Campbell? The Lions in Cleveland are two phenomenal football uh, cities that have deserved better over the years. <laughs> no right. stands about it, right? Yeah, I agree. And where were we last year for the draft? Cleveland. They're finally starting to get theirs, right, where, where the hope is, is real. Detroit, I was just there for the draft celebration because they're, they're getting the draft 2024. Jim, the people that do what you and I do, right, the, 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 the professional yackers, I did two radio shows in town, both radio shows, and there were multiple people hosting, said the same things. We want a quarterback at two. We want Malik Willis. They both were, were, were clear about it, and they both said the same thing to me. That's what we want. Now, our fan base, they don't want that. <laughs> our fan base wants position players, and that's at two and 32. And remember, they also have 34. So there's a lot going on in Detroit. I expect them to take either Thibodeau, not Thibodeau, either uh, Hutchinson or Trayvon Walker. That's what I would expect at the top. Whoever Jacksonville doesn't take, I feel like they will take the other. Hutchinson, Detroit people would dance in the streets coming from Michigan. Would the Detroit front office be upset getting Trayvon Walker? Not one bit. They see huge upside there, I think. Now, 32, that's a whole other story because they may be able to package that one, drop back down, have someone else come in if indeed – Someone has the appetite to get that quarterback at 32 like we've seen in recent years. Remember Minnesota getting Bridgewater and Baltimore coming in and getting, uh, getting Lamar Jackson, and you get that extra year on the contract. But that's what the city of Detroit is feeling based off of the two shows that I did. So it'll be fun to see how that whole thing breaks down. No doubt. Charles Davis joining us. All right, you mentioned Malik Willis. I'm looking at your mock draft. Charles, you've got Carolina, and obviously Carolina has cycled through quarterbacks ever since Cam Newton left for the first time. There's been a suggestion that they've got the inside track on Baker Mayfield, and you've got them taking Willis with the sixth pick overall. If you're Carolina, who would you rather have, Mayfield or Willis? (sighs) 
I've been a big Mayfield fan for a long time. I'm not a fan of what's going on recently, although he does have a point about, um, could someone have told me? Yes, they could have. Unfortunately, in our business, Jim, we're in the communication business, and people who communicate really poorly are usually people in the communication business. And that's kind of how it worked out, unfortunately. His hurt feelings got out on display. It probably wasn't the best thing for him because people at home don't have a whole lot of regard for hurt feelings when you're making millions of dollars. That's just the way the world works, unfortunately. He has a point, but it's not a point people are going to really get with. To me, he's a better prospect than anyone you would get in this draft. If he would just if he's coming in and taking over, and you don't have the rest of the drama that goes with it, so if Baker Mayfield becomes a Carolina Panther before the draft, that's a null and void pick there, Jim at six. Then you're back to can they get one of the big tackles, an Equanu, an Evan Neal, or do you decide Charles Cross is good enough for you at six? That would be like central casting to me. But I've, I was kind of I'm kind of you know the owner's been jumping up and down about a quarterback, right? Scott Fitter, the GM, a few weeks ago said sometimes you have to take a gamble even in the top ten for a quarterback. I kind of take them at their word and kind of left it there at QB. But as you pointed out, if Mayfield does get to Carolina before this draft, that pick's null and void. I have to go somewhere else and change that. Charles Davis joining us for a few more moments. That's interesting. For instance, if, in fact, Baker Mayfield is better than any prospect coming out right now, there are some interesting quarterback prospects. Of the guys coming out this year, Charles, who do you like best at quarterback? Kenny Pickett would be my number one quarterback out of Pittsburgh. And, again, I'm very careful about that, you know, that faint praise thing because this isn't faint praise, but this is something that's real. To me, he's the most advanced among all of them. And if all of a sudden your starter can't go tomorrow, you can plug him in, and I think he'd be the most efficient and get your team going right away. I think he's that far advanced amongst the others. Not to where they can't see him, but he's ahead of them, I believe. Other guys have upside. The guy that I had, you know, kind of man crush on is the Matt Corral of Ole Miss. I just love his playmaking ability. I love his toughness. I love how he's grown and matured during his time at, at Mississippi. Go all the way back to high school, Jim and see some bumps he's had along the way and see how he's gone through them and seen this finished product that I've met on multiple occasions now that I just really, really like. I just think that there's, a, there's an element to him. There's a lot of playmaking that goes along with him. Doesn't mean I don't like Willis. Doesn't mean I don't like Sam Howell. Doesn't mean I don't like Desmond Ritter, who I think is, is ascending right now. I put him in the first round with Pittsburgh, and I'm sure a lot of people want to punch me in my face. But he's the type of quarterback that Matt Canada, their offense coordinator, would love to have to go along with what he wants to do on offense. So it's plausible. I don't know if it, I don't know if it's going to happen. But Matt Corral's the one that I'm the, the most crazy about in this draft. I like him, too. I like him, too. You're right. He went through some things in high school, but I like the way he's handled that. I like the way he's bounced back. I've had him on the program. I like what I hear. I like what I see. I agree with you. Before you go, it's a really deep receiver draft. When you break down this class of receivers, who stands out to you as the best? Well, Jameson Williams from, from, from Alabama has been the best for me, but he's coming off the knee injury. Now, everyone's talked about how he's ahead of pace, he's rehabbed, what have you. I did have a very good scouting friend say to me the other day, hey, man, he's a straight-line guy. Does he change direction as well as we want to? Well, okay, that's a possibility. But when you put it all together, Jim, 
I don't think you go wrong with this receiving group. I think you can make a case for all of them. Garrett Wilson out of Ohio State, Chris Olave, Ohio State. Drake London at USC is a little bit of the wild card because he's not going to blow you away with the 40. But it reminds me a little Larry Fitzgerald with the big body guy who can go into the slot and make every catch you want downfield and then shake you off and gain additional yardage running the ball. Sky Moore from Western Michigan is getting a lot of run, is maybe sneaking into the first round. Remember Dwayne Eskridge came out of there and went to Seattle um, a, a year ago. Jahan Dotson from Penn State. Jim, if you have not met him or spent time with him, if Jahan Dotson wasn't such a great football player, he should have been an Ivy Leaguer. This kid is mm. impressive. I mean, just spend five minutes with him. You're like, dude, you had to have gone to Harvard, right? Did you go to Yale? Did you go to Princeton? Which one did you go <laughs> great. to? Right. That's what he feels like when you talk with him. But there are a bunch of receivers in this draft. I do think Christian Watson from North Dakota State is going to be a really, really talked about prospect. Six four, running four three six, not a ton of balls thrown to him. He's a type you can really develop. But by the way, Jim, there'll be a receiver drafted in the fourth round that's gonna catch sixty plus balls next year. That's how many good receivers I think are in this draft. That is deep. That is really deep. Charles Davis, my guest. All right, so I was gonna let you go, but since you said that, I wanna ask you something. If there's gonna be a receiver who's taken in the fourth round that catches sixty passes, is there going to be a single running back taken in the first round this year? It's funny you mentioned that, and I'll be brief on it. One of my favorite people in the NFL is a, is a player personnel person. I was doing a show last night, and he texted me and said, for the life of me, I cannot understand how a Brees Hall or a Kenneth Walker is not taken in the first round. Hmm. That's what he texted to me. Interesting. Now, the, those were his words. I will tell you that in doing my mock drafts, there have been plenty of passes that I've done at them and Brees Hall is in my first round that I've not submitted, and I'm eyeing Buffalo. Hmm. There you go. <laughs> he is an NFL and CBS analyst. He is an NFL network analyst. He is a friend of the program and the draft. Finally, finally, is just about here. It's next Thursday. In fact, Charles Davis is all over it. My man, great to have you back on the show. Appreciate you, and always appreciate that conversation, especially this time of year. Hey, thanks for having me as always, Jim. Always appreciate the conversation. Always good to talk to my teammates. All right, so how about an update on the USFL? I was talking about it yesterday when I had no interest in all at all in it going to the weekend. Honestly, coming out of the weekend, I thought that would be the last thing that I would be talking about. Like, for who? For what? In fact, I feel like I kind of got conned into the entire topic like I was a sucker, like a chump. I got chumped. I got conned. Like, we're going to find out any second that that whole cutting a dude over a chicken salad thing is some sort of reboot of punked. Like Ashton Kutcher in a trucker hat is about to announce that the entire USFL is just one giant prank, and we all got sucked in. It's either a prank or a marketing ploy or something stupid, right? Wouldn't surprise me even a little bit. In fact, it would make way more sense. That in and of itself would make way more sense to me than a professional player getting cut over some chicken salad. Like, I still can't really get my head around that. And I'm not the only one. Pittsburgh Maulers running back, Davion Smith, did not want to eat chicken salad. You know why? 99% of the planet does not want to eat chicken salad. The dude did not want to eat chicken salad, and at the same time, out of the corner of his eye, saw pizza. 
So, of course, he tried to make a choice and tried to pick the pizza over the chicken salad. Pretty much like 99% of the world would if they were in the same situation. Yet somehow, that got that guy fired from his job. Fired. Somehow, that's why he is the most famous fired person in America this week. Like, he didn't just lose his job. He lost his job in the most public, viral way imaginable. Bad enough to get fired. Even worse to get fired in front of the whole country. I mean, the guy was a star at Michigan. He did lead the XFL in rushing. But the reason he finally hit it big, really big, is because he got capped for not wanting to eat some canned chicken and mayo. If it seemed like it couldn't get any worse than that, or more effed up than that, his former employer essentially said, hold my beer. They saw that story. They saw that story going crazy. They saw how they were getting dragged. They probably heard me put them on blast. So they did what any reasonable organization would do after it embarrasses itself publicly and does one of their employees dirty. No, they didn't own it. They doubled down. Actually, technically, they tripled down. Because the Mahlers put out a statement yesterday which read, in part, quote, Unfortunately, much of the context was left out in this moment. Smith had violated three team rules in a 24-hour span and in this particular incident disrespected a cafeteria worker which wasn't captured on camera. End of quote. So it's exactly what you said it was. Oh, you, it wasn't captured on camera. That makes it so different. And, and those other things. I don't know. Before we get into his reaction, which is priceless, did you not sit this guy down and tell him exactly why he was fired? You didn't mention the other things. You told him exactly why he was fired. Rule 46, line 46. Anyway, as far as the other incidents, line 46. Three separate incidents in a 24 hour period. Oh, so now they're. Two other team violations. I would imagine they were probably just as horrific as the one that got him fired, right? Head coach Kirby Wilson apparently forgot to mention those. When he was telling the dude exactly why he cut him, he didn't mention those three things. He didn't say, hey, yo, you're fired. Here's why you're fired. You did this, this, and this in the last 24 hours alone. That's why you're fired. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say that at all. He laid it out perfectly. You're fired because you, quote, disrespected a cafeteria worker because you didn't want to eat that nasty-ass chicken salad. That was the entire explanation. We all heard it. We all watched the video. What kind of other violations did these losers come up with anyway? What else? Because you didn't mention anything else. Did he ask for a spoon instead of a spork? Did he put ketchup on his hot dog? Did he somehow disrespect the soup of the day? Did he trade lunches with another dude on the team without permission? I mean, what a clown show. An utter and complete clown show. 
I guess you shouldn't really expect anything other from minor league football. Hey, and by the way, they win. They win. We're still talking about them. Except my man, dude, Davion, now he didn't consider that a win. Davion was not falling on that sword. He was not going to be sacrificed so they could get one more day out of me on this show. No, no, my man is pissed. Davion is fighting back. The Maulers wanted them hands, and they got him. Davion took to Twitter following the team statement, and he lit his former employer on fire. Quote, what rules did I break? Now you're lying on my name? Question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. Say less. Let me continue with the thread. He was just getting started. Quote, I was never made aware that I violated any team rules, let alone three in a 24-hour span. I never disrespected anyone. Coach Kirby and I spoke after being released. In that talk, he said that he'd certainly vouch for my character. Let me stop right there. He just said it. They didn't tell me of any rule I violated. Why are you putting that out there now? He continued, quote, They really just put out a lie. Y'all really should be ashamed of yourselves. Now, if I send these screenshots from our exact convo, who's the one lying? My man's rolling now. My dude just mauled the maulers. And I got to say, he's making some really good points. That's got to be one of the most one-sided issues ever in the jungle. Like, who is not... In any given topic... There's always going to be X that will take that side and Y that will take this side. But in this case, who's not on Davion Smith's side? Who doesn't want to see the screenshots? Davion, my guy, finish them. Finish them, bro. Time for the kill shot. (laughs) The Maulers, they're saying that there are hundreds of hours of behind-the-scenes footage that was captured. All right, hundreds of hours. Seems to us, based on what you're saying, hundreds of hours, but exactly no film evidence or documentation of any Davion Smith rules violations. None of that seems to exist. Or we would have seen it by now, right? The only footage that seems to exist is where the coach very clearly explains the terrible reason. Excuse me. One terrible reason. One terrible reason that he's cutting the guy. How convenient. What a quinky dink. Man, they got nothing, D. They got nothing on you, bro. You know it. You know it. They know it. Screw it, man. Keep it coming. Keep going. Show us the screenshots, dude. Expose those minor league clowns for the Bush League clowns that they are. Give us the screenshots. Give us the screenshots, and I will give you day three on this program. I'll run this thing back. Back to back to back. Give us the screenshots. Meantime, now people are talking junk. Now they're talking junk at them. Insert, Avi. It's down to 109 right now. Wait, wait, saw it? Why is it? That's the defense yelling a dummy call. Chicken salad, chicken salad. Chicken salad, chicken salad. Chicken salad. Chicken salad. Chicken salad. 
the Maulers that didn't get cut for chicken salad violations last night. Chicken salad! Getting heckled by the other team to their faces right on the field for a dude getting cut over chicken salad. Chicken salad! It's like the mic. The mic's like chicken salad, chicken chicken salad, salad. chicken Chicken salad, salad, chicken salad. Chicken salad! Omaha has been replaced with defensive calls of chicken salad, chicken salad. Chicken salad! Omaha! Chicken salad! The other team is mocking them and talking junk. Chicken, Chicken salad. salad. That is a great heckle. Chicken salad. And they got their asses kicked. They lost 17-3 to last night in front of like 40 fans. And the other team is like, Chicken salad. Chicken salad. Chicken salad. This is after they got lit on fire on Twitter by the guy that they chicken saladed. Chicken salad. Meantime, the coach gets up there after the game and said this. The thing about this whole situation is um, I have a set of standards that we, we go by as a, as a football team. Uh, those standards weren't met. Uh, that individual knew uh, prior uh, that we weren't having a prior agreement to prevent a later misunderstanding. Uh, once uh, those incidents were brought to my attention, I addressed them uh, immediately. Uh, because these are life lessons. They have nothing to do with football when you're trying to teach people how to respect other people, no matter how you see or view them. And he had uh, immediately reached back out, uh, apologized, uh, committed to trying to be a better man and a better person from the incident. But we had already moved on. The decision had been made because, as I said, there's a prior agreement in place to prevent later misunderstandings. It's very unfortunate that it went out as a one-sided story, but I've been around this business too long. This is absolutely incredible. Like, all of this over the chicken salad, quote, incident. He called it an incident. Chicken salad. An incident. And and he said, it's too bad it's one-sided. It's one-sided. That's rich. You mean your side. One-sided. He goes, it's too, the coach said, it's too bad that, I can't believe I'm getting worked up about something that happened in the USFL. Like I'm going to war for Davion. I'm getting, literally, I can feel myself like heating up, my body temperatures heating up over this because the coach said, it's too bad it's one-sided. You saw the video. The guy tried to argue, the player tried to argue his side and the coach wouldn't hear it. And the coach is now saying, it's too bad, it's one-sided. You wouldn't even listen to the guy. And I appreciate you sharing that, but the matter's, it's done. Hey, wait a minute. The player's like, wait a minute, coach. Wait, what, what are you talking about? That's not what happened. I appreciate your side, but it's too bad, it's done. Good luck. That's rich that the coach is now complaining that it was one-sided when he would not listen to the player. Your side. That's all we have is your side. You wouldn't even listen to the guy. Well, that and the statement about three team violations in 24 hours. You can't try to complain to us that only one side of the story got out when it's your side of the story and everybody clowns the hell out of it. And by the way, the other violations... They don't even tell you what they are because they're probably, if they, if in fact they even exist, you know, they're every bit as absurd as the one that they fired him for. And the coach going on about how this is an opportunity to grow and he apologized and knows that he will become a better man for this. For what? 
trying to sub out some disgusting chicken salad for a nice piece of pizza? Better man and a better person from the incident. What incident? So there you go, USFL. You got over again. I I guarantee there's got to be somebody or a few people in a USFL office based wherever they're based, laughing their asses off. Hooked Rome again, man. Free pub, yo. Do you know what it would cost us to get 10, to buy 10 minutes of advertising on Rome show? Probably $10 million. But nope, we got it for free. Yo. Chicken salad. They're just sitting around in their room right now, spitballing, going, what can we do? What can we do today? What can we push out there today to piss off Rome and get them all indignant so we can get some more free pub? Hey, yo, tip of the hat. It worked. Because you somehow managed to multiply the absurdity of an already ridiculous situation. Like, I, I still don't really believe any of it's real. Like when Dodger Jano and I were watching Jackass 4 the other night. You know, like these guys, they lubed up that tube and they went down that hill. And they ended up in the dirt. And they were rolling around. I feel like that's what this is. Like, well, except that was real. That was real. I feel like this is not real. Like I keep waiting for Ashton Kutcher to crash into my studio. And number one, apologize for getting me indirectly to invest in all of those restaurants because I did so because his first restaurant did so well and it was the same group. Hey, Kutch, I accept your apology for that. And then secondly, to bust in and go, hey, Rome, sorry, yo, bro. I know you're an old guy and you're not that that sharp anymore, but that was all a big joke. That USFL thing never really happened. Nobody got fired over (laughs) over chicken salad. You know that, right? Good one, Ashton. I'm looking around for like, where are the hidden cameras in my studio? There's got to be, somebody's going to bust in here right now, right? And let me know, dude, you're a chump. You've spent two days talking about something that never actually happened. Except it did. It did. So that's, I'm not talking about the same thing twice. You may be confused. This was an update. This is something new here. This is not a reset. Hint, hint, DJ. That's code to you, DJ. Dodger Jana was listening. She's on her way to LBC, the LBC. So there you go. Oh, Dodger Jano, since you're listening, I don't know if you heard this the other day, they're talking about your tour stop pants. Yes, they are. That also jumped the day. I don't know if you heard me talk about that the other day. Dodger Jano. Yeah, so now I'm communicating to several million listeners, but talking to my wife. She's listening. A tour stop, a tour stop. Tour stop pants. I, you know what? I hope that that streak does not continue tomorrow. I hope that's the end of our USFL conversation. Davion, man, you were done all wrong. Dude, you did not learn anything from that, quote, incident. Trust me. Other than they'll put a knife in your back. Thanks for teaching this guy a life lesson. All right, it's when very, we come back. It's very unfortunate that it went out as a one-sided story. It did not go out as a one-sided story. We saw the video, Coach. We saw the video, Coach. How did that go out as a one-sided story? You said it. I'm not done yet, Alvin. 
You said it. You said exactly why you fired him. Line 46. There will be no disrespect. You disrespected that cafeteria worker. addresses that. Coach, how? How? How did you, how did I disrespect anybody? I didn't say anything other than can I, can I have pizza instead of chicken salad? Now we're done. When we come back, I, I just expect on the other side of the glass that Chalk is not really Chalk. Chalk's been rocking this mask. He takes it off. And it's not really chalk, but Ashton Kutcher, who's been sitting on the other side of the glass for two days. Kutcher, punked Rome. Good night, Nick.